0: Pastor Javen shares the Christmas message of fear not. Our walk should be one that chooses faith over fear, but certain fears are often hard to overcome. The message of Christmas, though, tells us fear not. We have good news of great joy that a child was born that changed everything for everyone. So take a moment to pause and pray, preparing your heart for today's service. I don't know how many of you are siblings or you have, if you're parents, you have kids, multiple kids in your home. Uh, I am, I, I have a sibling uh, i 'm also a parent of three kids, so there 's one thing that there 's one word that i 've heard in in my years uh, thrown around with siblings quite often, and that word is the word favorite anybody ever uh, if you 're a sibling or you have kids multiple kids you 've heard that word favorite thrown around. My brother is uh, sixteen years older than me, sixteen years older, and so there there was another Brother, unfortunately, when I was in third grade, we lost him in a car accident. But, uh, but all through the years as we were growing up, uh, my brother considered that I was the favorite in the family. He would always say, "Of course, Javen gets that. He's the favorite. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's, Mom, Dad, you love him more than me. He's the favorite, right? Because he's the baby. Right? That's what. You, that's what was always said." Uh, but uh, he's done a lot of work through the years to try to earn that title of favorite in the family. <laughs> now, I'm kidding, I'm joking with him. Um, but um, uh, with my kids, one of the things that I've loved to do with my kids through, through the years is when I have them one-on-one occasionally, I will tell them each individually, I'll say, you're my favorite. Now, that used to be a secret and there are some a couple of them are in here today, so I'm not spoiling anything because they know now that each single one of them have been told that their daddy's favorite throughout the years because they'll get, no, dad told me I'm his favorite. No, he, he told me I'm his favorite. Right. You're all my favorite. <laughs> you are my favorite. What they uh, are learning to realize is that mom is really my favorite. Their mom, my wife is really my favorite, they, they're, but they are all tied for a close second in the family, right? So, but I want, I want us to look today at that word favorite. And I, I, I want to maybe redefine it for us a little bit. I'm not trying to change the definition and the meaning of the word favorite. I don't have the authority to do that. Um, there are, I know we have English teachers a part of this church. So I hope that you don't get upset with me by, by doing this. But um, I think I'm, I'm gonna do it somewhat of justice, okay? By looking at it. So stay with me. Let's look at the word favorite for a second and think about the word favorite. So let's break it down and let's first look at the last part of the word, the suffix of the word favorite. See, everybody gets excited when you're in church and the pastor uses the word suffix. You're like, what are we doing? We're back in school. I'm not at school. It's a weekend. I'm not supposed to be at school. I finished school a long time ago. Why are we talking about suffixes? All right, so the suffix, it, was usually typically used to describe someone that belonged to something, right? Or, or something that belonged to someone. So so, for example, if you've ever heard the term Camdenite, we're, we, our church is in Camden, South Carolina. A, a lot of people, you know, you, you may live in other areas, but, but we're central in Camden. And if you live in Camden, then you, you may be called a Camdenite, right? Because you are a person from Camden. Uh, all throughout scripture, we see this used. We see the term Israelite. You've heard that. You, we'll see Canaanite. Hittite, Moabite, we'll reference those here in just a second. But they're all describing, they're using that suffix ite to describe the place or the where those people belong to. Okay? So, so with that in mind, we look at word now that begins the word favorite. Favor. Right? Favor. Now the when you look at the noun definition of the word favor, it is, it is describing someone that approval where you approval has been given support a liking for it can also mean that a great act of kindness beyond what you were due beyond what someone deserved was given okay so if we take those two words or, and we take that suffix and the meaning of the word favor and we combine it then what i want to kind of say more than just favorite being someone that you put ahead of someone else right i want us to think about it as a person, someone who has been shown an act of kindness beyond what they were due or what you deserved to give you approval, support, and love beyond what you thought you should get. Because I want to show you today and point out to you today that you are God's favorite. That when God looks at you, he sees his favorite. Because his favor is upon you. His favor rests on you. That that scripture that was read during worship today is from Luke chapter two. And there's a verse in there. I wanna go back and look at it here in just a segment. There's a verse in there that talks about the fact that God's favor rested on his people. But I want you to know today that you don't have to fear not being good enough. Too many of us fear, well, I'm not good enough. Too many of us fear that I'm not worthy to be loved. But I want you to know today that God's favor rests on you more than you know. Look again with me at those words from the angel in Luke chapter two. It's just a few of these verses that we saw from that passage read earlier. Luke chapter two, started verse eight. We're in this moment where an angel is appearing to the shepherds who are out in a field and the angel of the Lord in verse nine appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified, rightfully so, right? Because this is a moment that's happening that doesn't typically happen. I probably would have been scared too if I see all this taking place. But in verse 10, we see that the angel said to them, do not be afraid because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All people. It's not just for one group of people. It's not just for one sect. It's not just for a a type of person. It is for all people. And what kind of news is is it? It's good news. It's a type of news that will bring you great joy in your life. Not fear. Not burden. Not condemnation. A news that will bring you joy. And he goes on and it says, um, It says, many of the people of his, Wait, my, my, my page went back. My bad. I was looking at chapter 1, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. So now it's not just one angel speaking to the shepherds. It's a great host of angels that are now surrounding these shepherds and they begin to praise and they begin to worship. They begin to do exactly what we were just doing together in this room and online this morning. They were worshiping and praising the savior who would be born. And they began to proclaim these words. They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men. This translation says, to those with whom God is pleased. The translation I'm reading right here, and maybe the translation you have says this, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. I want you to know today, you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, well, that's not me because God's favor could never rest on me. God, God looking at my life and knowing the things that I've done, knowing the life that I've lived, knowing the decisions that I've made in this life, God would never be pleased with me. There's nothing about my life that's pleasing to God. There's nothing about my life that brings favor from God. But again, you have more favor on your life from God than you realize. He approves of you more than you know. And I want to show you today through the story, the beginning of Christ's birth, what we celebrate in this season, Christmas, I want to show you how Jesus, how his love is for you, regardless of what you've done in this life. Because I want us to look at the genealogy again, just briefly, not everything, we're not diving deep into it, but there's a few things out of the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus that I want us to see, to show to you today that God's love and his grace and his mercy and his goodness were, were for all people. And some of you, you hear the word genealogy and you're like, oh yeah, I'm down with that because I'm on ancestor.com. I've been doing this thing. I've been researching. I've been finding out where my family comes from, right? I've been, I've done the, the DNA samples. I've been doing all that and you're excited until, you're excited until, right? Until, <laughs> until you discover that one thing about your family line down the line and you're like, oh, that's where I come? Oops. Okay, we'll stop right there. We'll stop right there. I don't want to know anymore. But listen, that's the thing about G- When you go back in genius, G- 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 I'm struggling with words this morning. With Jesus's line, when you go back in his line, you see some things in his line that are like, really? That's who Jesus, That's who are a part of Jesus's earthly line? I want us to see that today. I want you to know that today because it's in that that you see that God's favor can rest on you. There's two, two of the gospels point to the line of Christ on this earth. Matthew and Luke. Those two point to the line of Christ. Now Luke, Luke begins the story talking about the birth. He sets it up with the birth of John the Baptist. He goes into the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, Mary was related to Elizabeth. They were cousins. And, 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 uh, and, and then, then Luke goes into the line of Christ. And he begins to point out the genealogy of where Jesus came from on this, in this earth. Now, for Luke, he holds to a very strict Jewish custom, just like they would do in, in going through the line of Christ. He lists as far back as Adam. He tries his best not to leave anyone out. Okay? So he goes all the way back to point how even from Adam, we come all the way down to finally Jesus is born. He doesn't list any women in his genealogy, which was the typical way that they would do that. Now, ladies, please don't get offended by this. I'm just, this is how it was customary of of the Jewish custom. And, And in that time, historically, that when you, went through and named everything, you named it by the man. But understand this, Luke is naming the genealogy of Jesus that comes not from his earthly father, but from his mother, Mary. And so to do that, he lists the father of Mary and then his father and his father and his father and his father and and goes down the line. And we see that in that line, Jesus is linked to the throne of David. It is there that we see that Jesus has the rightful right to that throne. He deserves to sit on the throne because of the line he comes from. And some would say, yes, but Jesus is coming from the line of Mary. That's not his earthly father. So it's, it's, it's the son on the father's side that goes to the throne. Well, if you look in Matthew, which does line up the, the line of Jesus through Joseph, you see that even through Joseph's line, it goes back to David. Jesus is connected to the, thr- to the throne of David on both Mary and Joseph's side. But on Joseph's side, a guy's name is mentioned, Jeconiah. Scripture tells us that Jeconiah became cursed and anyone from his line was not able to sit on the throne of David. So if it can't come from Joseph's side, then let's go to the mother's side. Well, he's still good there. But the thing about the Messiah, it was always meant to be different. And Jesus came to break curses. And when Jesus came to this earth, the prophecy said from Isaiah that he would be born of a virgin. Well, there's that one being fulfilled. When the king was, when David was appointed king, you think back, David was appointed. God spoke through the prophet and said, Saul has lost his right to the throne. Go to Jesse's house and one of his sons will be the new king. And that was David. And David was appointed king. We go all the way back to Genesis. We see Genesis chapter three. God speaks to Adam and Eve and he tells them that there would be a difference in the seed, in the two different seeds, one of man and one of woman. God had been working in this thing from the get-go. God had been pulling all of this together. Matthew says that Jesus was the son of David and the son of Abraham. Luke says that Jesus is essentially the son of God, Adam, because he goes all the way back to Adam. But he also calls him the son of God. Through Matthew and Luke, we see that Jesus is the son of David. He is royalty. He is the son of Abraham. He is a part of the promise of God that was given. He is the son of Adam in that he is man, just like us. But he is the son of God, in the fact that he is deity and that he is God and he is over all in creation. Matthew, in his lineage, he points, that he does it in a very artistic way. He doesn't do it in the, in the customary way of naming everyone and sticking to everything, but he does it in a very artistic and poetic way. In the fact that he points from Abraham to David, from David to the exile. And from the exile to Jesus. In other words, what he's saying is that that from the promise to David the king, God was working all that out. From David to the exile to the punishment. The punishment for David's sin and for the nation of Israel. Jesus was still there. God was still working it. And from the exile to the birth of Jesus, finally we see that the only answer for any punishment to man's sin was Jesus Christ. He's showing that God through everything has been faithful, that he has been in control. He has been playing this out and lining it up from the get-go. And Matthew is also not customary in the fact that he mentions women in his genealogy. And you would think if you're going to mention ladies that you would mention those ladies like Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Rebecca. But he doesn't. He references and mentions names like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. Well, what is it about these ladies and about them being in connection with Jesus Christ? and the family that Jesus chose, God chose for Jesus to be a part of. Well, Tamar seduced her father-in-law because she was longing for the security of a man and to not be childless. But even despite her sin, she gets named in line with Jesus. Judah, the man that she seduced, was a hypocritical leader who tried to cover his sin, but Judah is right there in that line with Jesus. Rahab. Rahab is told to us in the story of Jericho when Joshua and his army went and and, and took the promised land, and it tells us in the scripture that that he sent two spies in and he sent the spies in and they went and they went into the home of this woman named Rahab and with her family. And Rahab began to say, I know who you are and I know what you've been doing and I know what God has done for you. So when you come to take this land, if you will rescue us and save us and, and keep us from, from anything happening to us. And so they agree and they say, we'll come in. We'll, 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 if you do that, if you let us back in, we will make sure that you and your family are saved. Well, here's the thing about Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute, which isn't necessarily the profession that we think of in a wholesome way. But Rahab, the prostitute, is mentioned in line with the family that Jesus chose to be a part of. And here's the thing too that's so neat about when Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews and James When they wrote their letters, they both reference Rahab. And when they reference Rahab, they call her the prostitute or Rahab the harlot. You may read it in some translations. Same thing. They're pointing to who Rahab was. They wanted for you to understand how God can move even in a life that chose this before Christ. But when Matthew lists Rahab in his genealogy, he doesn't call her Rahab the prostitute. She's just Rahab. Because when we are in line with Christ, our past is erased. Who we were is erased. We are no longer known as as what we were. We are who we are now in him. But Rahab, she's in that line. Ruth, Ruth was was a a, a Moabite. She came from the line of, of Lot. Lot, if you remember, had chose to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Ruth, she follows her her mother-in-law, Naomi, to Bethlehem. A foreigner, not an Israelite. But somewhere discovers Boaz, a guy by the name of Boaz discovers he can be her kinsman redeemer. And he marries Ruth. And Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of David. David. Then you've got mentioned the wife of Uriah, which you may know is Bathsheba. Uriah was a Hittite, which means Bathsheba, even if she was originally an Israelite, would now be a Hittite based on who she married. So a foreigner, but also the adulteress of David mentioned in line with who God chose to be the family of Jesus on this earth, the savior that would be born. Right? So when you look through this line, you are seeing it doesn't matter how broken you are. Jesus's love is for all people. And his favor rests on all. You are his favorite today. But even in that line, we look in both Luke and Matthew, we see them mention the big names, the ones that we consider, you know, like the big ones. But even those guys, Abraham, he carried the shame of putting his wife in compromising situations. Jacob carried the shame of being a deceiver. That's what he was known for. Judah, we've already mentioned him, but even before the shame of sleeping with his daughter-in-law, he carried the shame of selling his brother Joseph into slavery. And then David. Yes, Bathsheba was the adulteress, but David was the one that pulled her in. His sin of adultery. And he's a part of this line That Christ would come from. The Messiah. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. So see it doesn't matter. If you are the religious of religious. Or if you are the chief of sinners. We're all in need of a savior. And we got one. And he was born of a virgin. Thousands of years ago. In a city called Bethlehem. And he would be our savior that we need. And his favor would rest on us. So we don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid of not being good enough. Because a child was born that would ultimately perform an act of kindness for us beyond what anyone was due and beyond what anyone deserved that would approve us, support us, and love us in a way that we would never be loved in our life when Jesus gave his life on that cross and he died for us. That is the good news. That should bring us great joy that we don't have to fear in this life. Paul defined the good news this way in Romans chapter three, verse 21. I want to read it to you from the voice translation. He said this, he said, but now for the good news. He said, God's restorative justice has entered the world independent of the law. Both the law and the prophets told us that this day would come. And this redeeming justice comes through the faithfulness of Jesus, the anointed one, the chosen one, the liberating king who makes salvation a reality for all who would believe. And get this, without the slightest partiality. In other words, God doesn't show favor in the way we think of favor in favorite. His favorite rests on all. But we have to choose to believe. Because see, here's the thing. When we're looking at goodness and we're afraid that we're, we're not good enough, what we're typically doing is we're comparing ourselves with someone else. And we're saying, well, I'm not good enough because I don't compare to them. But listen, when we compare ourselves to God, no one is good enough. That's why Paul said we all fall short. We're none good enough. We're all in need of a savior. See, in this room, we can fit on two sides. We can think to ourselves, I'm okay, I'm good, I don't need anybody. But when Paul's writing this letter to, 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 to the church of Rome and he's letting these guys know, listen, the law is not there to let you be good enough and earn anything. The law is there to point to you that you are not good enough. You, you don't take anything to get fixed until you acknowledge that it's broken. When you are willing to say, yeah, you know what? I think it's, it's broke. It's broken. I'm going to have to take it and get fixed. You have to admit that you need a savior. That we're all broken. We all need a savior. But also we have to understand that we don't have to do anything to become good enough. Jesus, in his goodness, in his righteousness, placed the goodness of God on us his righteousness placed on us. But we have to believe. And this belief is not just a, a, a head knowledge where, okay, yeah, I believe that's true. It's a belief that puts ourselves all into the truth. A belief that follows it. A belief that is all in on what is being done through it. See, when you take that scripture that John wrote and you say, for God so loved me. For God so loved Javen, For God so loved you. That he gave Jesus. He sent Jesus to be born on this earth. To grow up, to change the way we see Everything. give his life so that our whole life can be changed. And I believe he did that and I don't just believe it with my head that it's true. I believe it with my heart and I'm going to follow it in my life. Then what you see happen is no longer are you trying to do enough good to be good enough. You're doing enough good because of the goodness of God in you. The good you do is a byproduct of the good of God being produced in you. So today we have to, we have to decide, we have to make that choice. If you've never made that choice before to say I'm broken and I'm in need of a savior, but I'm not too broken because God can love me just like he can love anybody. And he did through Jesus. Stand with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you today. We're so grateful for Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And the moment that we remember right now in this season, the Christmas season, the remembering the birth of Jesus That was just the beginning of the story that Jesus would tell while he was on this earth. That was just the beginning of us beginning to realize what God had been doing from the very first time he spoke the world into existence. Father, we thank you today that our sin is not enough to keep us from you. Our mistakes are not enough to keep us from you. Our brokenness is not enough to keep us from you. God, you come to us despite what we've done. And you look at us and you say, I love you. I want to show you my favor. I want to rest my favor on you today so that you can understand and know I love you. God, I thank you for your act of kindness Jesus, that you did when you gave your life on the cross. and Father, I pray today for anyone in this room that may be on either side of that spectrum to think that I'm not, I don't need anyone. I pray today they realize their need for you, that they realize that they are broken. But Father, I pray today that we realize in this room that we're not too broken for you. Church, as you continue to pray, I just want to encourage anyone that's in this room or watching online today, that if you sit on either one of those sides, that today you understand that Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. That this season is just a time that we remember the child that was born who would be the ruler and king of this world. And that he loves you today. And if you've never taken that step to say, I am broken and I need a savior. Today, I want that to be Today, today I want to be the day for you to say, I need him as my savior. Today, I want this to be the day that you say, I'm not too broken for God to be my savior. I want to receive the love of God. And it's as easy as you praying and saying to God, to Jesus, Father, forgive me of the sin that's in my heart and it's in my life. I want to be made new in you. I want my life to be different. I want to begin to follow you. And and, and, and listen, there may be things that you have to overcome as you begin the journey. But God will help you and God will strengthen you to walk in that. And as we go into this brief moment of worship together, I just want you to take that time as we worship to put your heart out there for God and say, Jesus, I want to receive your love today. I'm not too broken for you. I am broken, but I need you today. Let Him be your Savior. Let Him be the one that changes your life today. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccambon.com. Go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803 803- and we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.